that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled, the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested unto us, that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. Well, do you notice something a little bit different than in this epistle than you might maybe Ephesians or Romans or some of the other epistles? Well, there's no introduction. John, there's no I, John, the apostle, or anything like that. John just jumps right into it. And I figured this morning I'll follow suit and I'll just jump right into it. And I won't have an introduction or anything. But what I'm going to preach on this morning is life and fellowship and joy. Life and fellowship and joy. And what I want us to see this morning is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the only way to eternal life. Godly fellowship and the fullness of joy. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the only way to eternal life, godly fellowship, and the fullness of joy. And in this section, John writes to us about Jesus. John bears witness to us about Jesus. John offers fellowship to us through Jesus. And John declares that our joy is found in Jesus. John is pouring out his heart here, and we can see what it is it's about the Lord Christ. And so the first thing we want to look at this morning is John writes to us about Jesus. So John writes to us about Jesus. He is the one that is from the beginning. Now, this is sort of a complicated sentence. If you were in school and you had to diagram the sentence, it would be hard work to diagram it. But if we just step back from for a second and ask ourselves, well, who is this about? And just set aside that which was from the beginning and, and set aside all those things and just read the whole section. And I said, well, who's that about? I would say all of us would be able to say, well, that's about Jesus. And that's the right answer. And um, that's what we want to come away with. This section is about Jesus. We can read the very first verse of the Bible, in the beginning God. And then we read before we prayed in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him there was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. John tells us that's about Jesus. And so John starts out that which was from the beginning. Who's he talking about? Well, we know he's talking about Jesus. Jesus. Not that he was created, but he is God, very God. He's telling us about Jesus, who he is. It's very important that we know who Jesus is. This is not just some obscure uh, point of doctrine. This is all the doctrine. This is it, because if we get this wrong, we might as well not even be here. We might as well be a social club. We might as well be a charity uh, if we don't have Jesus. 
we don't have him in that doctrine correct. Jesus was born of a virgin, but he's also truly God. It's vital that we understand that he was he that was with God in the beginning and was God and made all things was also born of a virgin and was truly man. We see that in this text. He who was from the beginning, which ties us back to Genesis 1.1 and John 1.1 and telling us that, that he is God, a very God, also is the Word made flesh. So there's two great errors that you can fall into. You can deny the deity of Christ and say that he was just a man, or you can deny his humanity and say that he was God and just appeared in the form of a man. But we need to avoid both of those errors and know that he is truly God and truly man. And John reveals that to us here. John is telling us about the Son. He's telling us about Jesus, who he is. And he's also reminding us that he was an eyewitness. John says, I heard him. You're listening to, you're, I'm telling you, as one who heard Jesus speak, I heard him preach, I heard him pray, I heard him talk about doctrine. I, I, I communicated with him. I asked him questions and he answered me. I heard him. There's a lot of false teachers that were in John's day that were saying all kinds of things about Jesus. They didn't know Jesus. They didn't know him by faith and they didn't know him while he was in this life. They came along after because John's an old man when he writes this. And he said, I heard Jesus. And I saw him. And I looked upon him. And I'm testifying to you as one who knows Jesus, who knew him in this life, who saw him walk on water, who saw him um, do miracles, turn water to wine. I saw him. So well, why does he say we've seen him with our eyes and we looked upon him? Well, one is to see something and the other is to sort of discern and to investigate. You can be walking through a store looking for something in particular. Chris and I was walking through Lowe's and I was looking for something in particular and I saw all kinds of things. But it wasn't until I found the section I was looking for is that then I began to look more closely. If you're looking for a particular tool, you know, you're walking through the um, lawnmower department, you just scan it and say, well, that's not what I want. But then when you find what you're looking for, then you investigate, then you start looking closely. Chris and I was riding uh, bicycles in Clinton and and uh, I saw, you know, there's people walking by and other people on bicycles. And, and I saw this boy riding towards us. And so I noticed the other people. But then I, I saw this boy and he was riding towards us. And um, I noticed that he wasn't using his hands. He was riding without his hands. And so I started looking a little bit closer. And then I noticed that boy was riding and he had his hands folded like, um, like a, a Buddha statue or something. And then he had this... He was making a face at me like he was in deep meditation. And he rode, I don't know how far he rode, <laughs> just with his hands like this going along. He's trying to get me to laugh. And uh, finally I broke and I laughed at him and he kind of smiled. But I, I saw all those other people in Clinton, but I noticed him because he was doing something I wasn't expecting to do. That was something I would never would have thought I would have seen when we took off that day, a little... Uh, Buddha statue looking boy riding his bicycle with no hands. Well, I saw him, but then I noticed, and I, 
because I was astonished by what I saw. I looked at him a little bit more closely. Well, that's what John is saying. He said, I didn't just see him walking by, but I looked at him, I discerned him, I saw the marvelous things he did, and I investigated, and I know of whom I'm speaking. We looked upon him. We touched him. There are lies that were told about Jesus in John's day. One of them was, it's a doctrine called docetism, which um, just means appeared, that he appeared like a man. He was a spirit, in other words, that came, that looked like a man, but wasn't really a man. And there's those stories that are told where Jesus walked on the sand and somebody turned around and looked and he didn't leave any footprints behind because he wasn't really a man. Well, John is battling that. We know from um, other preachers of a uh, similar time that that was going on, that doctrine was going on. John says, no, I touched him. You can't say he was a spirit and wasn't a man. I touched him. I ate with him. I saw him weep. I saw him eat. I saw him sleep. Remember the boat was going up and down. The disciples were trying to keep the boat from sinking. And they said, where's Jesus? Well, he's down in the bottom of the boat sleeping. And the spirit would not do that. He, he walked. Peter was sinking down under the water. And who grabbed a hold of him and brought him back up when he was walking on water? Well, Jesus did. Well, if Jesus was a spirit, because that's what they said. Jesus could walk on water because he wasn't a man. Well, how could a spirit grab a hold of a man and pull him up, up on the water? No, he was truly a man. A real human being. So he is the one who was from the beginning. But he's also the one that they saw and they heard and they touched. Who? That word of life. Is this just the theology for discussion? Well, no. No, this is very important. This is very important. It matters. Why? Because he is the word of life. Jesus is the life. Jesus has life in himself. He says, for as the Father hath life in himself, so is he given to the Son to have life in himself. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the word of life. He is the word made flesh. But in this passage, he's not stressing so much the word, I don't think, but as life. Because he says, the word of life, for the life was manifested. So I think the stress here is the life. That Jesus is, is life. It's important to know who Jesus is because Jesus is the only way to the Father. Jesus is the only way to life. And you can't have life without Jesus. And if you have the wrong Jesus, then you're not going to have life. The Mormons will talk about that they have Jesus. Well, they, they have a Jesus that's not the Jesus of the Bible. They don't have the Word made flesh. They don't have... Um, the God-man. They have a different Jesus. Now they'll say it's the same Jesus, but he's not. Because you ask him, you ask them or read their literature about who they think Jesus is, and it's not the Jesus of the Bible. Those heretics in John's day that said that Jesus was just a spirit, that's not the same Jesus. You know, if I said 
if I said that um, Elijah was a robot and he wasn't a real human, he just looks like a human, but he's a robot, would that be the same Elijah that's sitting here before us? No, it'd be a different one, wouldn't it? You say, well, that's not true. That's not true. That's not who he is. That's nothing like who he is. He's flesh and blood. Well, that's what the heretics were doing. They are saying, John's saying that Jesus was a man, but he wasn't really a man. He was something altogether different. Well, that's a different Jesus. Well, John's saying he is the word of life, and the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and we bear witness and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, was manifested unto us. So if you have a different Jesus, you have a different way of life, which is no way at all. Christianity is faith in a person, not simply um, faith in a God, but in the person of Jesus Christ. And John says, I am an eyewitness. I know Jesus. I knew him. I saw him. I walked with him. This is the only way to life. And there's no other name by which you can be saved. And if you listen to somebody besides John, and if you listen to anyone else besides the testimony of the inspired scripture, then you're putting faith in someone else other than the word of life. And if you put faith in someone else other than the word of life, you have no hope of life. So John tells us about Jesus, who he is. He is God, truly God, and he is man, truly man. God with us. Well, John, secondly, this morning, John bears witness to us of Jesus. The life was manifested, and John saw it. Life appeared. The author of life appeared. The giver of life appeared. Not that he came into existence, or that he appeared in certain form, but the invisible God was manifest to us in the person of Jesus Christ. That that God, who is invisible and that no man can see, was born of a virgin. And now we can, if we have seen Jesus, we have seen the Father. He is, God is with us. Emmanuel, God with us. The invisible God dwelt among us. He is the form of God. So if you look upon the, the face of Jesus, you have seen God. That's what Jesus testifies in the Gospel of John. That's what John is telling us here. And that's who he is bearing witness of. We have seen the word. We have seen the word of life. And I'm going to witness to this fact. I'm going to give you my testimony. He is one that ministered with Jesus, with fellowship with Jesus, who heard him preach, saw him do miracles. He listened to him, prayed. He interacted with him in private. He said, I'm going to tell you about this man. Isn't it interesting how a false prophet will come along and he'll tell you all kinds of things about Jesus, like today. He'll tell you all kinds of things about Jesus. And he'll tell you things that Jesus does and things that Jesus says, apart from Scripture. But but people will flock to that because it's something new and something different. But they won't listen 
to John's testimony. That they'd rather have the testimony of a false prophet than the one who was with Jesus and saw it. An eyewitness to all the things that he saw. And an apostle to whom Jesus called for this particular ministry and to which Jesus promised the Holy Spirit would teach him and guide him in all things. So we have an eyewitness who has a special office of apostle that Jesus Christ himself said would have a particular office that God would give him a revelation about not only the, the truth, but uh, insights into that truth that, that we may know more about God. And yet people come along and say, well, I know more than John does. And, and, and people would flock to those people. Right? So they, they wouldn't listen to John. They'd listen to these uh, proto-Gnostics. They'd listen to the Docetists. They'd listen to these false heretics who didn't know Jesus, who never saw Jesus, um, and were, were making things up about it. John is confirming and driving this home I'm bearing witness to what I know and what I've seen. He was given the Spirit to understand the things that he saw. And John is declaring Jesus and the significance of his coming. Because there were lots of people who saw Jesus, but they didn't understand the significance. Well, John not only saw Jesus and heard Jesus and touched Jesus and, and was with Jesus, but he also knows the significance of why he came and the purpose of his coming. So John uh, tells us both of those things. The life who dwelt with the Father manifested himself. So who was with the Father? Well, the Son was at the, with, the pot, with the Father. The Son was with the Father. You don't have a father without the son. Well, the son was with the father from the beginning. He is eternal life. Well, if the father is eternal and the son was with the father, you can't have two eternals, can you? We have one eternal. God is eternal. So the son is the second person of the one God. We don't have three gods. We have one God, one God and three persons. And that's John is, is showing us here. The, these truths. He said, we have declared these things. The Son, the Word, is the life. And John is declaring eternal life and he came to us. Eternal life, who was with the Father, cannot be separated from Jesus who John saw, heard, and touched. Now this is the, the big point that I think that he's making here. That you have Jesus being with the Father. You have Jesus being from the beginning. Jesus being the word of life. But John also saw him and heard him and touched him. And like I said at the beginning, if I were to ask you who are these first four verses about, all of us would have said Jesus. Because we know it's about Jesus. Even though the grammar might not be as easy to understand as in some other places, we know this is about Jesus. But the, I think the point is, you can't separate that. You can't say, well, this is part of Jesus over here, and this is part of Jesus over here, and they're, they're two... No, he is the God-man. The same person who was with God is the same person whom John touched. So there wasn't a Jesus 
in heaven and then Jesus on earth. But it's the same purpose, the same person. The word was made flesh. And the eternal word is the same person who died for our sins. Eternal life is through the God-man, the man, Christ Jesus. It's very important that we hold these truths. A lot of people start talking about the birth of Jesus, but I wonder how many really think about the importance of Jesus Christ conceived of a virgin. That he, he had no earthly generation, but a divine generation. That he is the, the son of God, the son of man. Conceived of the Holy Ghost born of a virgin who was man, truly man flesh but truly God so John announces and proclaims and declares this truth, this is the Jesus we love, this is the Jesus we worship, this is the Jesus where there's eternal life and there is no other way he bore witness of Jesus he says in verse 2 he shows us Jesus in verse 2 in verse 3, he declares Jesus to us. That's a good focus for anyone, I think. He's got the right focus. He's got the right message. He's got a holy hope. He's got the way of truth, the way of fellowship, the way of joy. That's all through Jesus. There's applications for churches. There's applications for serving God in his church, in this book, with the one another's. But his focus is on Christ. And that comes before anything. You can serve God in the church, and you ought to. That's very important. But Christ is first and foremost. And the only reason that one would want to serve Christ in the church is because they love Christ as Savior. They love him as God. They love him as their Lord. And so our obedience that John will talk about, our, our working, our abiding in Christ, our, uh, the commandments which he gives, all the things that John tells us to do flow from the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. And it can't go the other way. You can't love yourself, or you can't work yourself into the love of Jesus. John said, this is life. If you don't have this, it doesn't matter about any of the other things. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the only way to eternal life, godly fellowship, and the fullness of joy. And that's the third thing we want to consider is John offers fellowship He says he declares all these things to us that, so why is he doing this? That you also may have fellowship with us. John's saying, I'm telling you all this stuff, and it's very important. I'm telling you this, that you might have fellowship with us. And then he says, and truly our fellowship was with the Father, with his Son, Jesus Christ. First he says, I'm telling you this so you can have fellowship with us. Then he says, I'm telling you this, and then you can have fellowship with God, because we have fellowship with God. 
So fellowship, of course, is more than just um, talking and having a good time. Um, so Thanksgiving is, is coming up in a couple days, and I can't remember how many Fs there are. Food, family, football, and fellowship. Is that, what that, is that the thing with, uh, with Thanksgiving? Well, what do you mean by that? Well, you get together with your family, and you talk, and you have a good time, and, and, and there's fellowship around all the things that people enjoy. Well, that's not the fellowship that John's talking about, just getting together with people that you love and, and having a good time. If we had a fellowship meal here, we could get together, we could eat, we could have a good time, we could enjoy one another's company, but it's more than a potluck dinner that John's talking about. It was a fellowship. How could the people reading this letter have fellowship or companionship or communion or partnership with John? John's an old man when he writes this, but in chapter 2, verse number 12, it says, I write unto you little children. And then verse 13, I write unto you fathers. Then about halfway down, I write unto you young men. So there's there's little children, young men, and, and fathers. Three different groups of people. Well, John can't have that in common with all of them. John was an apostle. And by the time this was written, most likely there wasn't any apostles left. So there was only so many apostles that ever were, and John's the very last one, and there'll never be another one. The last John had a fellowship of, of those apostles, and now they're all gone. So it can't be a fellowship with, with that. John was a preacher, but not everybody that's going to read this is going to be a preacher. John was a fisherman, and I'm sure not everybody was a fisherman that read this. John was a Jewish man, and not all the people who read this were Jews. In fact, a lot of the people that he's writing to might not have anything in common with John whatsoever in this life. So how could they join and have fellowship with John and the others? Well, this fellowship with John and even the other disciples and maybe even the apostles that have gone before, it is a fellowship around the truth. It was not a communion based upon family ties, mutual hobbies, and, and interests. It was not built upon nationalities and common um, communities. It was based upon believing in and knowing in the true God. I think it's remarkable. Every year you see people write articles about how to have Thanksgiving with your, uh, you know, your conservative family members or, or how to have Thanksgiving with your, your liberal um, cousins or, or whatever. As if, as if politics is the main thing by which anybody can have any communion. Who you vote for is the only way that you can have um, anything in common. And it's become a national religion because people can't even talk to one another anymore unless you share those, those political values. Well, we have a fellowship 
not based upon politics, not based upon um, ties of this world, but based upon resting and knowing the true God in Jesus Christ the Lord. That is the grounds of our fellowship. That is the grounds of our communion. And so you and I, um, all except for my family sitting here, of course, we're not related. But we have communion. We can have fellowship because I know the true God. And I am resting and believing and trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know the true God. And you are uh, resting and trusting and believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we can have fellowship together because we are united in Christ Jesus. And John says, I'm writing these truths to you that you may have fellowship with us. So what he's doing is he's drawing a line in the sand. And not between this political faction and that political faction, or not between Jew and, not, and Gentile, or man and woman. He's drawing a line in, in the sand between lightness and dark. Truth and error. False teachers were gaining the ground. If you flip over to the right, a couple pages, Second John, verse number 7. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is the deceiver and an antichrist. And then he says in verse 10, If there come any unto you, bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. Then over in 3 John, verse 9. I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds which he doeth, pratting against us with malicious words, not content therewith. Neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that they would, and casteth them out of the church. To use today's language, John was being canceled. Here he was um, preaching the truth. The Apostle John, of all people, being canceled by these churches. Because these men come in who claim to have a higher knowledge and a secret knowledge, and they know the truth. And they have no place for ordinary Christians, and they have no place for John. And so... They come in behind John and preach a false doctrine. And then they come into the church because they love to have preeminence. They love to be the big man. They love to have um, all the power and all the accolades. And they say, well, we don't want John around here. And if you follow John, we don't even want you in this church. Well, if you think you have a group of men who claim to have a higher knowledge and the secret knowledge that's superior to the apostles, well, they have no place for ordinary Christians. They have no love for the brethren because they were above everybody else. But you read 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, I don't think he was too concerned about it. He wasn't concerned about building coalitions with heretics. He didn't care about having fellowship built on lies. John didn't care about being canceled by people who distorted the truth or people who told lies about Jesus. 
his concern was being with the Lord. He said, I have fellowship with God the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. And I'm writing to you because I want you to have that same fellowship. I don't, I don't care what the heretics say about me. I, my concern is about you and that you are not drawn away from those heretics. There's a story told. Um, Irenaeus was an early churchman. Um, and he wrote a book against heresies told by Polycarp. And there was this guy, uh, Serenthius, and he was a heretic who lived in the time of John. So this is couple generations told so take it um, take it as you will um, there's this a story is told and Irenaeus tells it in his book well Serenthius was a true man and he said that the Jesus was born of Mary and Joseph then as baptism the Holy Spirit came and gave him divine power so he wasn't born of a virgin Serenthius says and he wasn't the God man he was just a very powerful man and dwelt by the Spirit. Well, the, the Bible teaches no such separation between Jesus, the man, and, and the eternal Christ. Well, Irenaeus says that uh, the Apostle John was going to the, the bathhouse in Ephesus. Now, you know, in those days, they didn't have indoor plumbing, so if he's going to... Uh, take a bath or something, if you were in the city, there's not a river running down the city, they'd have places where you could go and, and clean up and so forth. Well, that's what they had there. And the story goes that whenever he got there, Serenthius was there. And John said, let us fly, let's even the bathhouse fall down, because Serenthius, the enemy of the truth, is inside. So like I said, that's a historical antidote. It's not in scriptures or anything. But if, if that to be true, that's what John would have thought about that heretic. Not to build coalitions with him. Not to have fellowship with him, certainly. How can you have fellowship with a heretic, John says. John would have rather walked around filthy than be associated with the filth of his heresy. John had the truth, and he wasn't looking to stay in the in crowd. He had fellowship with the Trinity. He knew Christ. He knew the truth. And what he wanted was his, is the people of God to know this truth and to have fellowship with him. He's drawing a line in the sand. And he's telling the people, you can have fellowship with darkness, or you can come over here and have fellowship with me in the light. Now imagine, because 2 John, 2 John and 3 John, written to individuals, and it appears that they're house churches or, or small communities of believers. Now imagine... A small group of people, just like us. Imagine we didn't have this building, what would we do? Well, we'd be in somebody's house this morning, wouldn't we? We wouldn't say, well, we don't have a building, so we can't have church anymore. Or we can't be a church because we don't have a building. No, we'd, we'd be meeting in somebody's house. Well, imagine a small group of people, and then right down the road, you've got big groups of people, hundreds, maybe thousands of people, being led by intelligent, well-spoken, charismatic men, they all claim to have deep insight into the things of God. They're respected by the philosophers. They're respected by the people at large. And there you have John, this old man who, disowned by the Jews, disowned by his uh, friends, he's the last of a dying breed. 
soon he's, he might even be there um, at the Isle of Patmos where he's imprisoned. Everybody's against John. John doesn't seem too dis, uh, depressed about it, though, does he? He says, no, I'm writing this so you can have fellowship with us. I want you to be on the right side of things. Don't follow these men and their nonsense. You think John was crying at night and said, oh, I wish I could be with Diotrephes. I, I wish that I could be on his side. The only reason John is upset about it is because John, he knows that he's deceiving people and driving and destroying churches. And he doesn't want the churches and the people of God harmed by his um, arrogance. So imagine this small little house church going against all this big um, movement that's gaining ground, gaining steam. John writes this letter and says, I was there. I was with Jesus. And despite what these guys are saying, I know Jesus. I'm riding with you because I'm moved by the Holy Spirit. And I'm writing to you, telling you the truth about Jesus. And I'm inviting you to come have fellowship, not with darkness, but to walk in the light. Because to believe the scriptures, to believe John, is to have fellowship with John by believing his testimony. To believe first John is to believe what John lived for, to believe what he died for, to believe with him what he believed with all of his heart, what motivated him, what drove him, his hope, his faith, what led him to walk away from the family business and leave that fishing boat behind, what led him to walk away from Judaism and all the things that went along with that in his family, to walk away from uh, his, his family relations even, and to walk into the prison cell in the book of Acts, and to walk into persecution. This truth of Jesus the Christ what drove him to write these letters and to suffer and, and to live a life of, of enduring persecution for the truth of Jesus Christ because he knows it is real. He knows it is true. And we have his words, the inspired text of Scripture, God's very words that John pins here as he was moved by the Holy Spirit. And we this morning are being called into that fellowship of, of, of truth in Christ Jesus. And by receiving this gospel, you have the same hope and the same love and the same object of faith and have joined the fellowship of this apostolic teaching and the fellowship of the Holy Trinity. By receiving the gospel of life, you're united to Christ in a real and vital union with Christ, adopted into the family of God, with God as your Father, and one in Christ, and have fellowship with God. So, you have fellowship, and, their fe and he said our fellowship was with the Father and with his Son. Communion with God, fellowship with the Father, fellowship with the Son. And though John doesn't say it, we have fellowship with the Spirit, Philippians 2.1. There be any comfort, any fellowship with the Spirit, he says. 
We have fellowship with the Holy Trinity. Communion with God. Where you can speak with God in prayer. And you can hear God speak to you in His Word. And you can be led of the Spirit. And then you can have true fellowship. True communion with God Almighty. So why is John concerned about what the the heretics might say? Well, he's concerned about the truth. And he doesn't want God's people to be deceived. And he writes these things that your joy might be full. That's what John wants. He wants you to have joy this morning. That's what I want. I want you to have joy this morning. Now you can read 1 John and... I hope that you did read it this week, at least one time. And if you didn't, well, let's just start again this week and try to read through it at least one time. Maybe read it through it several times if you want to. But if you read through it, there's a way that you could read it where you might come around and just focus upon um, the the law part, where John will, was writing for the assurance of believers. And you might read it and say, well, I know I'm saved, but this book scares me. Well, if you're in Christ, John doesn't write this to scare people. Now, if you're not in Christ and you read it and you realize that you're not a believer, well, then that ought to scare you. But if you read this and you know you're a believer, John is writing to the believers that they might have fellowship and that they might have joy. So if you are resting in Christ Jesus, know that you're on the side of the apostle. You're on John's side. He drew a line in the sand. There's the fellowship of light and there's the fellowship of darkness. If you believe in Jesus, you're in the fellowship of light. Now John will tell us how we ought to walk in that fellowship of light. He'll tell us what that looks like. He'll tell us what that happens if we slide uh, off the path and all these types of things. But John writes this for your joy. If you are a true believer, this book ought to give you joy. It ought to give you hope. It ought to give you comfort. It ought to give you assurance and boldness of conviction to walk in godliness, to know Christ, to put off the sins of the flesh, to repent of things that that you may not be doing, to to urge us on to things that we ought to do. But most of all, it ought to give us joy because we have fellowship with God. Real joy. True joy. Because it reminds us of who we are and what we have. Psalm 16.10 says, For thou will not leave my soul in hell, neither will thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption. Prophecy that Jesus Christ would be buried. And he would not remain dead, but he would rise again from the grave without seeing corruption. Thou will show me a path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. In the presence of God, in the presence of Christ, there is joy. In the communion with the Father, there is joy. In the communion with the, at the right hand of the Father, which is Jesus Christ, there is joy. John says, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. I'm going to tell you what I saw and heard 
looked upon. I'm going to tell you about him. I'm going to show him to you. I'm going to declare him to you. That you might have fellowship. That you might be where God is in his presence. In his presence is the fullness of joy. John says, I write these things that your joy may be full. And Lord, I had the blessing to his word this morning.